I think maybe we all can know and experience from time to time what it's like to have a setback. If you've ever experienced a setback, and, and I would trust that if we thought about that long enough, that we could all come up with examples in our own lives of setbacks, what a setback looks like, feels like, and we all have examples of that in our own ways in our own lives, right? That for those of us who know what that's like, we can experience that. I, I know in my life where I've had uh, different surgeries, some of those have been rather major surgeries, so there's a recovery process that goes after that. Sometimes there's a setback with health, right? That as I'm recovering from those surgeries and I have a day where I get up and you know what? I actually feel pretty good today. I'm going to get back to some normal things. And by the next day, I think, oof, I overdid it. That was too much. And then there's another two or three days on the sofa again trying to regain that strength back. It's a setback. A setback, which, which we would define then as a negative, uh, a negative impact on progress. Right? Things that were going well suddenly are not going well. Things that were moving forward suddenly are not moving forward. And there may be examples of this all over the place. So in your work that you have, maybe you, you experience to where, you know what, your job is going well, things are going well, you're getting ahead, and then maybe you lose one of your major contracts or you lose a couple of your big clients, and now it's a setback. You have to rebuild. You have to start over again. Or maybe if you're a, if, if you're a student who plays on a sports team and, and some of your key players along with you suffer an injury, and everything that you worked on to work as a team together all of a sudden has to be refocused and reshaped, and, and it's a setback because you have to go backwards and start some things over again. You see, any one of us, no matter who you are, no matter how old you are, no matter how young you are, no matter where you are in life, we all know at some point what it's like to experience a setback and what it's like to be feeling like you're getting ahead, and then something happens and you take a few steps back and you have to start over again and move forward again. Well, as we have been going through Paul's letter to the churches of Galatia, the Galatians, Uh, We've been seeing how Paul addresses them, and today we're up to chapter 4, in the middle of chapter 4, and Paul is talking about a setback, a time when he's commending them for where they have moved forward and where they have gotten, but then there's a few steps back, and he addresses that. So, So we're thinking about setbacks in what we read here today, and in particular, this is a setback that Paul is talking about in regards to community what it means to be community. So let's remember the big picture as we've been going week by week here through Galatians. The last couple of messages in chapter 3 were about what it means to be a child of God. We've seen that over the last couple of weeks, that Paul reminds us, you are a child of God. Now today, in chapter 4, he takes that message that maybe came sort of individually, you are a child of God, and now he's applying that to the group. So we are all children of God. And there's a setback in the all part of that, the community part. So first let's read about that. This comes from Galatians 4, and I'm going to begin reading at verse 8, where Paul says this. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather, are known by God, 
How is it that you're turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I've wasted my efforts on you. I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I became like you. You did me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. Where, then, is your blessing of me now? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy just by telling you the truth? Those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for them. Now, it's fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always, not just when I'm with you. My dear children, for whom I am in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone, because I am perplexed about you. It's as far as I'll read today. Considering what it means here for Paul to address a setback in the community. And how that goes. So you have in your bulletin, your order of worship, there's an outline there that you can follow along as we fill in some of those things. Now, maybe some of this language that Paul brings in this passage feels a little harsh. And we should take note there that, that Paul is not necessarily giving a rebuke. He's not rebuking the Galatian people here even though the language may look that way. And, and you know what? Even though we may see from the greater context because we've been looking at all of Galatians, some of that, some of that where remember the passage that went several weeks ago where he starts in and he says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Right? Some pretty harsh language. So maybe we're still thinking that, that he's wagging his finger at them, telling them you need to shape up and knock it off. But no, there's something a little different hidden in this one. In fact, there's something of even a, a pastoral concern that he brings in this. Right? The, the reason that he is so adamant with them is because he cares about them so much. That he has spent so much of his time with them to build them up, to establish that community, a community which he was a part of. So he has concern for them in that that he extends himself with pastoral concern for them in these words. So it, it's, an, it's a message then that reaches out to embrace them, not just rebuke them. And you get some of that even in the words of this passage, don't you? He talks about some of his own story, some of his own testimony of a time when, remember when you guys took me in, I was experiencing an illness, and he doesn't elaborate on what that illness is, although you may get a few hints, because he says, if you could have, you would have torn out your own eyes for me. 
So it speculates then that Paul may have had trouble with vision. Something like that. But whatever it was, he was a burden on them. But they took him in and enfolded him anyway. And he commends them for that. So this is a a word then in which he is encouraging that kind of community. So let's see what that looks like today. We've talked over the last couple weeks about what it means to be covenant people, children of God, a child of God. Now today, let's look at this passage in these words and focus a little more on what it means to be a community together, a covenant community of God. Some things we can pull out of this passage in particular. First of all, let's talk about the calling of community, what it means for us to be people who are called into that community. You catch a piece of this right away as he introduces this in verses 8 and 9. Formerly you did not know God, you were slaves by, to those who are not by nature gods. But now that you know God, or rather, are known by God. Uh, all right, Paul didn't make a mistake here. He didn't say, whoop, 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 I, I said that wrong. Let me rephrase that. I think he intentionally writes that to show the contrast. The contrast being that, you know what? You may think you're pursuing God. You may think you're pursuing community, but you know what? It's the other way around. It is God who pursues you, right? Before you knew who God was, God knew who you were. It's the reason why, for example, in this church, in this tradition, we practice baptism with infants. Before people even know who God is, We say, but God knows who you are, and God makes promises to you, even from the day you are born. That's why we practice it that way. Because we say that this is a community into which we are called. We're not left to figure it out and find our own way in, but God is the one who calls us in and brings us into that. So it's something in which we would say God pursues us. He chases after us. He brings us in. Maybe some of you have ever have had the experience of, of being recruited at some time in your life. Recruited, like students when you get to be uh, upper high school and, and those, all those college letters come in, right? And specifically if you get like a contact from a college admissions officer who says, hey, you know, we've got a scholarship offer or something. We want you to come to this school. Recruiting you in for that. Or you find that in other places too, right? Sometimes, sometimes there's an employer, an, an employer out there who actually makes contact and says, I want you to have this job. I want you to come work for me. You didn't apply for the job. You didn't go look for that. But someone looked at you and said, I want you to come be a part of my team and my company and what I'm doing here. That there's a recruitment that happens. Sometimes you've had an opportunity maybe to serve on a a committee or a group here in this church or in some other organization where they came to you and said, hey, we would love for you to be in our group, our team, our committee. Or you've had the opportunity to serve on a corporate board or a nonprofit board of some kind where they've come to you and said, we would like for you to be on our board of directors. Come join us here. You see, I, I think... Many of us have had some sort of brush or experience with what it's like to be recruited. Somebody asked you to come be a part of whatever it is their their team or their group might have been there. There's something of that here. That we are called, we're recruited, pulled in. That God has said, I want you to be a part of this. Part of this group, a part of this team, part of this family. And that he pursues us to do that. 
you know, you, you catch the sense here about the way that works in verses 13 and 14 when Paul gives that testimony, right? When he says in verses 13 and 14, you know it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a, tri- was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me. That they pulled him in with that to be a part of their community. And this is where it even goes a step further. Because often, maybe in our own examples of being recruited or pulled in or invited into a community, often we look at that and we see in that examples of where, you know what? They want me to be a part of whatever their group is because I've got something to offer. Right? I, I can be of benefit to them in some way. But in this case, in this example, in the community of God's covenant people, it's all about being called in even when you have nothing to offer, nothing to give. Because your calling into the covenant community of God is not based upon what it is you bring to it. It's not based upon the, the things that you bring to the table, the talents or abilities that you have that makes them better. It's based only upon the faith that we have in Jesus. That's what calls us into this covenant community. So Paul acknowledges that, right? Even in his own testimony. Hey, remember that. Remember that the calling we had to be in this community had nothing to do with what it is you do, what you offer, what you bring. But even when, even when, Paul says, I was a burden to you, it's not that I had anything to offer. In fact, it was the opposite. You needed to go out of your way to help me. Even then, there was a calling to that community to join in that covenant group together. And so Paul affirms that even by his own story, even by his own testimony, how that takes place. That God's community calls us in even when we have nothing to offer. So the question then, the question to consider then for us is, have you ever experienced that? When has there been a time in your life when you have seen something like that? A time in my life in which God has called me into his community. Have you ever experienced what that's like? Especially if there's been a time where, you know what? I didn't have anything really special to offer, but they took me in anyways. If you've ever had that experience, you know how special that feels, right? You know how important that is to know that there's a place where there's a group of people who say, you belong, and your belonging here has nothing to do with what we get out of it. But it's entirely because of the faith of Jesus that gives you the value and the worth as a person to be a part of this community, to be a child of God. So we acknowledge that. That in this community, as we think about what it means to be community, there is a calling, and that calling comes to us as God pursues us, not based on anything we bring to it, but because of the faith of Jesus. It moves on from there, though. Besides being a place where we are called in community, we also see in these verses something that Paul says about the foundation of that community. What that community is grounded upon how it 
finds its shape within that. You see, for the Apostle Paul then, there is this discovery along the way that that as this community grows and they start experiencing, well, some conflict, some turbulence, that he has to then go back and remind, hey, remember the foundation that we're built upon. Remember the foundation where we came from. Remember that our place in our relationship that we have here is a place that is only made possible through faith in Jesus. Now here, here I have to expand a little bit beyond just the words of the passage we read today because we're remembering that we're reading all of Galatians and we've seen this in passages coming up to chapter 4 over and over and over again. In fact, you read any of Paul's letters in the New Testament and you will see this message over and over and over again, right? It is the heart of the gospel that Paul preaches constantly, that we are saved by grace through faith, that that's how we come to Jesus. That it is an exchange that happens where Jesus, when he came here and made his sacrifice, that he took the guilt of our sin and our brokenness to the cross. And he exchanged our guilt for sin for his perfect righteousness given to us. We receive that by grace through faith. That's the heart of the gospel message. Paul says it over and over and over again. And there's a reminder of that here as that is a foundation of the community we're in. That we, as a community of people, are built upon that foundation. But Paul, in this passage, expresses some concern about that. Some concern for that community. You see that in a few verses that come up here. In verse 11, he says, I fear for you. Somehow I've wasted my efforts. Right? That, that he is concerned about getting them to remain in that foundation that he has. And then we see it again in verses 19 and 20 as we get towards the end of this passage where he says, he, he calls them by my dear children for whom I'm in the pains of childbirth. And he says in verse 20, how I wish I could be with you. He's calling them back to a foundation. He desires so much for them to be there in that place where they can return to that foundation upon which they're built. A grounding of God's community that is a foundation then built on having faith in Jesus that's strong enough to withstand any shifting divisions or factions that take place. For the years that I lived in Denver, uh, the way that, that houses in Denver are built are a little bit different. So the, the rocky soil there has a lot of clay in it, and there happens to be, because of the presence of coal in the mountainous regions there, there happens to be the presence of a, a larger concentration of a chemical known as benzene in the soil that makes its way into that clay. Benzene is a, har- a carbon hydrate that, uh, that absorbs water and then it expands and contracts. So the soil, the ground around Denver is soil that from, from place to place, you never know exactly where, the ground can then expand and contract a little bit. So the way they build buildings there is a little bit different. The house that I lived in in Denver had what's called a floating foundation. So the way the house was built is they had, um, they had framing all around the outside and there were foundations that went down all around the exterior and those foundations went deep, deep into where they would be 
uh, beyond the expanding and contracting. But then, of course, you had to pour a cement slab for the basement. Now, that cement slab floor, which was on the ground, was prone to be able to move up and down a little bit because the soil would expand and contract. So they, it, it floated. It was not directly connected then to the foundations that went down. The house then, the house that I lived in in Denver, if you went in the basement, and especially if you went in the, uh, the roughed-in, unfinished parts of the basement, you would see that the stud walls were built along the side of the house to the foundation that went deep and came down and stopped about two inches shy of the floor. Normally when we build around here, right, you've got a base plate that's right on the floor and you go up from there, but not in my house in Denver. The, the stud wall stopped about two inches short of the floor. And they did that on purpose because they knew the foundation of the house around the side was solid. But the floor, the cement slab, could move, could go up and down. So you don't want to have the walls of your house anchored to that cement slab because it doesn't happen evenly, right? If a corner of the house goes up and it pushes the walls up, then it ruins the house, that the structure and integrity of the house itself becomes endangered. So... There was a foundation there where they recognized we need to actually build the house to be strong on a foundation that's solid. But there was room for some squeezing and pushing. There was room for some movement to take place knowing that there would be pressure that comes upon that house, but it was built in a way where the foundation could take it, could absorb it without ruining the house without damaging the structure. Maybe that's helpful for us to consider in what Paul's talking about as a foundation for community. That he's calling the churches in Galatia to return again. Remember that foundation, that foundation that we have, that foundation in which we are all one in Jesus. The faith that we have in Jesus is the thing that we build the church upon. But we recognize, we recognize within that that as the call of the gospel goes out to the entire world. Different people, different ethnicities, different cultures, different languages, different races, we're going to get a mix of people in the church. And if we allow some of those other things, the ethnicities, the cultures, the language, the divisions, if we allow those to be part of a foundation, we're going to find that the pushing of those things cracks and endangers the structure of what it means for us to be a community built together. So, Paul says, remember our foundation is built upon the one solid thing that holds us all together no matter who we are. Now then, it doesn't mean that we're all exactly alike. In fact, Paul, in other letters in the New Testament, goes out of his way to say the opposite, doesn't he? He says, you know, we are a body and bodies have different parts. We are all different parts of that body. But we're all together on that one foundation. And so Paul says in verse 12 that we we share this. We share this common faith in Christ Jesus. And we are all alike or common in that foundation, even though we may have differences outside of that foundation. The language there maybe sounds a little bit like a riddle, like you can't quite figure it out at first, right? Paul says in verse 12, Become like me, for I became like you. Like that's a puzzle to figure out. What does he mean by that? It's not something there to be taken literally. In the sense of, you know what, Paul was, Paul had a Jewish heritage. 
In fact, he was a very zealous, law-abiding Jew. Paul then, when he went to plant these churches around in the Greek territories, shed all of that Jewish cultural heritage. In other words, he became like the Greeks in the sense that, you know what, the one thing that matters, the one thing that unites us, the one thing that brings us together is that foundation of faith in Jesus. So he's not calling the Greeks then to become like him as a Jew, but he's saying, remember, become like us in the foundation that we share, that we are all one in that faith that we profess in Jesus, the foundation upon which we're built. And when we are founded and grounded upon that foundation, the other things that push at us, that pressure us, will not destroy us. Right? will not endanger our community that we share together. So we see something of the calling of community in these verses, something of the foundation of a community in these verses. But I think it would be helpful for us to be able to leave today knowing something of where it all goes, right? Where is this going? In other words, what's, what's the goal? What is the goal of community? Give me something practical that I can walk out of here with. Is what is this community for? What are we about? What are we striving for? Right? What are we looking ahead for? There's a hint of this then tucked away in verse 19 where Paul says that we are here to become, to be formed into the image of Christ. In verse 19, he puts it this way, My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth, until Christ is formed in you. That there's something about being formed into the image of Christ that Paul sets out here as the picture, the ideal, the goal. This is where it's going. This is the purpose for what it is this community means and is about. To form us into the image of Christ. He's reminding them of that in this community that that is where their community is going. That is what it's about. That is what they are to be striving for. And note especially that in this context that we see that it's, it's something they receive the way that he states it. It's not that he puts it as something for them to do. Now you go make yourself like Jesus. That's not what he says. He says, no, it's being done to you that you are being made like Jesus. So, so the goal of becoming like Christ is not so much something you do as it is something that's done to you, if that makes sense. Something that we receive. But of course we would acknowledge that, you know what, we're not just passive recipients of that, as though we have nothing to do with it one way or the other. Right When my children were younger, when it was bedtime, it's, you're going to bed now, whether you like it or not. But then you reach a point where, you know, we still do things to provide for our children, but they take part in that too. And we see something of that here, that, that we're not passive recipients of what it means to be formed in the image of Christ, whether you want to or not. No, but we're being called to be participants within that. But it is still a process in which Christ is the one who is doing the forming, the molding, the shaping. That God in his Holy Spirit is the one who is renewing and giving us new hearts. We are the recipients of that. 
But of course, Paul gives instructions too to say, and here's what you do to be able to follow that, to be able to live within that, to be able to embrace that reforming and reshaping. So then, what does that look like for us in this place? Right? How, how does my participation and involvement with this community embrace the goal of becoming formed into the image of Christ? How does that work for us? What does that look like for that goal to be achieved, to be formed into the image of Christ? Now, we may think about that in some personal ways. And, and that's not necessarily wrong to be thinking in that direction. Yeah, I know some things that form me into the image of Christ. I mean, I do my devotions, I read my Bible, I have my prayer time. I've got those things that, that are some of my personal habits of discipleship that grow me closer to God. Okay, good. Those are good things. But that's not what Paul is talking about here in this passage. Remember, he's talking about community, what it means to be together. So the question is more focused, right? How does your participation within a community help embrace that goal of becoming formed into the image of Christ? How does it happen here, in this place, with these people? You know, I've been thinking a lot about that over the last couple of months and reading a lot about that because I think we'd have to acknowledge that being a community is different now and in some ways more difficult now than it was eight months ago. Right? It, it's different. So how do we embrace that, that goal of being a community which forms us into the image of Jesus? How do we do that in a time like this? Maybe it's helpful then to learn from the example and testimony of others. So as I've been looking and reading of examples of people in other times and in other places who have faced some struggles of their own and found ways within those struggles to still embrace some community that grows and forms into the image of Christ, that's helpful. Helpful to see those examples because you learn then as you look at history that, you know what, it happens for a time. It's temporary. That people see that through and God forms and grows them through it. In fact, if you were to look at examples just in Scripture itself, you would find that the church, the community of the church, was its most prolific in times of struggle. That they, they had the most flourishing in times when it seems like there was the most against them. So one of the things that I've been reading lately, um, I've been reading some Dietrich Bonhoeffer. If you don't know who Dietrich Bonhoeffer is, Bonhoeffer was a 20th century German pastor and teacher, and he, he was arrested by the Nazis in Germany where he lived in the middle of the 20th century, and he was imprisoned, imprisoned in a concentration camp for for opposing Hitler and the Nazi party. And eventually he was executed in that concentration camp. But while he was there in prison, he formed and developed a community of faith. Formed and developed a bond with other Christians who were there imprisoned with him. 
And he wrote about that. So he, his, his letters from prison are published. You can read about that. You can read about what Bonhoeffer says about what it means for Christians to live in community together even when all of the circumstances and all of the situations around him were not ideal for that to happen. In fact, it seemed like just the opposite. That if Bonhoeffer would have said, what would I rather have in front of me for the ideal Christian community, it wouldn't have been that. Not there, not that place. That's helpful. Helpful for me to be able to read things like that because it's a reminder. A reminder for us today that as I see what's coming in this passage today from the Apostle Paul, that call once again to embrace that community into which God has placed us because it's a community through which God forms us into the image of Christ. It would be a mistake to say, okay, God, but I've got some demands of what I want that community to look like. I've got some preconditions of the community better be like this if I'm going to be a part of it. And if it's not, I'll just hold off. But that's not the way God's community works. Because we're built on a foundation of faith that lasts forever. That cannot be destroyed. That God will continue to form and shape and renew his people no matter the circumstance their community is in. Whether it's a time of thriving and flourishing exactly the way we would love and hope for it to be or whether it's a time of struggle or disappointment or discouragement. Either way, the foundation of faith in Jesus is there. Either way, we grow together as a community. Either way, we are formed into the image of Christ through that. So, may we be people who embrace that calling of God, pursued by him, to be a part of this community, even if we have nothing of our own to offer. May we be people who once again return to that foundation of community that we share of faith in Jesus. And may God continue to form and shape us into the image of Christ through that community into which he's placed us. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for this message you've given us. A message in your word that reminds us once again of the ways you've called us together. God, we confess that sometimes we have... uh, lost hold of that one and only foundation. But may we return to that again today in ways that remind us, shape us again, so that you may work through us. God, it's our prayer today that you would speak to us. Speak to us through your word. Speak to us through your spirit so that we may receive what it is we need from you to be formed and shaped into your image together. We thank you for that. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.